Talking about like physical media and uh, sort of like how it plays with the home. Um, a home is like a place to invite people into and get conversations going and get people excited about your space. And you can't do that with hyper minimalism because everything is, you know, sotto voce or under the floor or in some cupboard somewhere and it just lacks personality. And gosh, there's so many books that are literally aligning the top wow yeah we're sitting in our uh library slash dining room yeah are you a comic book collector at all do you have any very like, minimally so i uh, actually read far fewer comics than i, I think most people who make comics mm. um right yeah. i uh am a big believer in if you're going to work in a medium you should pull inspiration from other mediums to enrich that medium rather than just repeat what has been done before yeah mm. No, that makes sense. I think I feel like we had that conversation one of the other times we met that you That's don't possible. you yeah. don't read as many. I just remember it now. You don't read as yeah, as you said. You don't read as many comics as as other writers and drawers of comics would. And I mean, on some level, it's because you think a lot of it is bad too. Like a lot of modern comics. Not to get you, not to make you go after anyone in particular. I, I just no, I, I no. believe you said something to that effect that a lot of it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's, that's not yeah. A, yeah, that's not about a specific creator or any kind of creator. What it is is that um, comics as, as a medium come from the trash stratum. Yeah. Um, it's inherently a low medium. So the bar to entry is fairly low for writing, illustration, etc., uh, which is fine, and that's good. But when you can do something with a low medium and make it special, that really stands out. So it's not about it, it, so much as about like everything is terrible and I hate the medium. It's that um, to find inspiration, those diamonds in the roughs within that medium is particularly inspirational. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And uh, in particular, I found inspirational about Double Ot Kid, like the first page, um, how there's like a circle in the middle. And then like, although, I've, although I don't read a lot of comics and stuff, but I thought your layout was very like... Uh, Outstanding. Oh, thank that you. It was very like it, it. jumped out to me very much. Thank so, you very much. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good example. I'm, like that. I'm no, sure learning on the job. I'm getting better at layouts <laughs> and stuff like that. I saw this film uh, called a uh, recently. It's <laughs> called a uh, I think Funny Pages, and it was literally about and it was it was shot in the style of um, uh, Uncut Gems. It takes place in the Northeast, and it was about how this kid meets this one guy. Uh, and he wants to be a comic book artist himself, and he meets this one guy who did, like, 
the outlines or whatever of a particular comic book. Okay. And he was, it's, it was, the kid was like, oh, you did such a good job. And the guy was like, I don't know, I just do the outlines of the comic book. <laughs> sure, and he's sure. like, why do you give a shit about who I am? Like, all I did was, like, the fucking lines. Have you ever met anyone like that when doing your comic book work? Um, Where it's like, this, this is one guy just does the borders. Like, sure. Or, yeah. uh, well, in in uh, sort of, like, the big two in Marvel and DC or in, like, corporate comic book world, um, labor is subdivided mm-hmm. across uh, all the arenas. So there's a writer, there's mm-hmm. a penciler. Uh, sometimes they call it an inker or a finisher. Mm. Uh, there would be a colorist or a team of colorists. Mm. And given the technology of the day, those jobs all mean different things. But yeah, that subdivision of labor happens in uh, a, a sort of like larger um, publishing setting for comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could be, uh, you could call yourself a cartoonist, which mm-hmm. is someone who just does it all and produces a book. Mm-hmm. And that's more what I do. I see. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And on Wishbone, for example... Um, uh, I'm trying to remember correctly. Someone else did the color. Uh, or... No, I did it all. Wow! Yeah! Wow! Yeah. Do you think you'd ever want to do this subdivision of work? Like, or it, it's you, possible. I could already? see passing color off to someone else. Uh-huh. Uh, I could see um, collaborating with a writer, perhaps mm-hmm. working working in that way. But I think um, I'm. I, I, I come from a, a background of. Um, contemporary art I was sort of failed contemporary artist for like 20 years and there's a monomania in making everything yourself um, that yeah. I think translates easily to the comics medium mm-hmm. um, so I would probably try to do as much as I could barring some extenuating circumstance tight deadline etc yeah I mean in the corporate world presumably that division of labor is primarily just because it's a much more streamlined you know factory line of making work right it's not yeah, yeah. Uh, it, also, because it's on a monthly schedule, I put out comics as I put them as out. As you put them out. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, there's no ongoing series, not yet. Um, there's no deadline. I can take my time. Uh, so I have the luxury of, of being able to sort of do it all. Yeah. Is the kind of verbiage like, oh, this is a inker, this is a you know, writer, uh, is that considered important? Like, you would say, like, I am a cartoonist because I do all of it. There is yeah. a there's a hard distinction. There is a hard distinction. Yeah, yeah. So you would call yourself a I, I would call myself a cartoonist. Yes. I, I work professionally as a commercial illustrator for right. apparel, uh, and in yeah, my we'll spare time, my yeah. own sort of, like, creative endeavors, I consider myself a cartoonist. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, we, uh, to back up a step, we met, uh, all three of us actually met at uh, Chris Gabriel's meme analysis event yes. Uh, yes. back in April. Um, and I think I, I was introduced to you as a, um, you know, as I, I don't I don't know if the word cartoonist was used. I mean, people outside the industry may not have the proper verbiage sure. to use, but you were probably described as a comic book illustrator or yeah. something. But I know you've, wor- you've worked with Chris on uh, uh, the Wishbone comic you brought up was yep. for Aeonic Comics. Correct. Um, issue number two. Issue number two. I don't think Aeonic Comics is currently active, but I know it's a, been a product of Chris's. I think it was yeah. a short-lived thing. I think short-lived they did thing. three issues yeah. total. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, happy to be involved. But yeah, very, very cool. Anyhow, we met there. At, yeah, so I knew that you did comics, and then we followed each other online, um, and I eventually you know, realized you were publishing um, How Did We Get Here, uh, which is your mm-hmm. most recent, what would you call it, a graphic novel? A little short to be a graphic novel, right? But... Uh, well, I, I, first of all, it's not my most recent. Oh, sorry. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, it... 
I would just call it a comic book. Yeah. Graphic novel denotes like long form, sometimes square bound, etc. Yeah. This is like your classic comic book. It's 32 pages, a quick in and out. You could read it in 15, 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. yeah. No. Single issue, all self-contained. No, very good. I definitely want to talk about, a lot about how did we get here. Cool. I mean, I, yeah. maybe we'll call this episode that. Like, we'll definitely Sounds great. tackle it. Because I think just <laughs> both in terms of, as, a, as artistic work, but also like intellectually, Lots of stuff we can get into, but yeah. keep the intro going, keep it intro mode. I mean, yeah, yeah, so I knew you did that. And then as I, you know, we agreed we do a podcast, as I delved more, I realized you have this background in fine arts and various kinds of illustration and design. Um, All the above. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just, just going intro mode a little bit. I have these notes, so I'll read them. You know, your work has been exhibited across America as well as the UK, Denmark, and Greece. You kind of have that international recognition it's very cool I, I really enjoyed a lot of this various interviews and features i found on you online uh Juxtavos magazine has called you a man with an authoritative understanding of fringe cultural mythologies <laughs> um anyway just gassing you up a bit but there, there is um that level of seriousness i guess to your work and that level of through lines of theme and in design and um, it was cool to to delve into. And you've done, uh, if I'm not mistaken, illustration for ZZ Top and Pantera? Well, I've done a lot of bands, usually mm. through licensing companies mm. or through um, uh, merchandising firms. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, lots of large name bands, a lot of tour merchandise, uh, work with a lot of uh, Western wear, apparel brands, stuff like that. Yeah, lots, like of, lots of T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I really uh, on your Instagram, a lot of that is showcased. I really yeah. enjoy. It. Like, I think when I first, I was like, oh, these are speculative. I was like, no, these are real. Like, yeah. like actually works with these people. Yeah, and, uh, and it's good stuff. Um, one of the things that really jumped out to me is uh, your work with Modest Mouse on the Lonesome Crowded West 25th anniversary shirt. And the yep. reason for that is. Um, I don't own many band shirts, band t-shirts, but one that I do own is the traditional version the of that t-shirt, sure. the Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. I worked um, the local crew for a Modest Mouse concert in college, and, and, I just, and it was given to me for free. So oh, cool. I'm not a big buyer of band shirts for whatever reason, but I have that one, and I was like, oh, wow, he did the, That's cool. the updated version. But yeah. Yeah, it's also just like a really good example of your work. I feel um, yeah, it's pretty indicative. Yeah, a lot of Western wear, as you said, which totally. ties into the Modest Mouse, Lonesome Crowded West thing. Uh, uh, there's a ghost Got back a there. Cat. Oh, okay. cat. <laughs> how did the, I guess, how did the, the Western aesthetic, is that just kind of the work you've been drawn to, gravitated towards? Uh, well, illustration-wise, I've been really um, lucky to be able to do a couple different things, which means um, garnering different types of work, which mm-hmm. is great. Uh, but I've always been a fan of country music um, from Texas right. uh, yes. very natural progression Evan's also from Texas oh, right. so I Austin yeah. Uh, yeah. born in Dumas raised in San Angelo right is that in the, like the upper part I Dumas is in the yeah. pan I think I, I think I read very, that right. very north I don't yeah. know my Texas geography super well but that's, that's no cool. one does it's alright yeah. it's <laughs> too big um, but yeah it's, it's a natural thing for me and uh, I'm just like inspired by like sort of 60s, 70s country music aesthetic, and I've yeah, been lucky enough gone. to work in that arena in apparel. Definitely, I, and a lot of your stuff kind of has the aesthetic of like 70s bootleg yes. t-shirts. No, yeah. I don't know if you call them bootleg t-shirts, but yeah. like band-made t-shirts. All the above. Um, yeah, yeah, I do specialize in a very like crusty, lot-born, you know, really beat-up, poorly screen-printed kind of aesthetic that you would have found in, a, I don't know, Waylon Jennings uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, sold out of the back of a Firebird in 78 or whatever. Yeah, no, That's kind of the cool. idea. Yeah. Chris Stapleton is somebody you've worked with. Yeah, worked a lot with Chris Stapleton. But I, yeah, I saw that on, on Instagram. Um, and yeah, no, I wanted to talk a little bit, because yeah, obviously that makes sense, the Western aesthetic being from Texas. In some of the other features I've read on you and, and interviews I've read with you, you talk quite a bit about how, te- and you've already addressed it here, but how being from Texas sort of influences your aesthetic, but sure. how... You know, California is also West, right? It's it's such a... I, I've been thinking about this recently for whatever reason. You know, the, California and Texas are viewed as, like... Because one is, like, the big red state and the other is the big blue state, they're viewed as, like, these opposing forces. But I often think, like, on, like, a street level, there's definite similarities between California and Texas, too. Sure. Um, I mean, even going back to country music, like, there was, like, the Bakersfield sound. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was the Nashville of the West for a moment. Right. And yeah. So culturally, you know, there's a lot of like ranches. You'd get outside the large city centers and there's a lot of ranch land and, you know, outside of vineyards and stuff. So it's not terribly different to certain parts of yeah. Texas, you know, even it, geographically. Yeah, I just drove up through the Central Valley and it's like, I, I, I've only been to Texas a little bit, but the desert too, of course. Sure, I've been to yeah, West yeah. Texas and it's like... Yeah, it's just not so different. I feel like the people are not... I mean, of course, the people are different. There's very distinctive Texas things, very sure. distinctive California things. But I got to say, I don't know. There, the, there's more in common there than meets the eye. I'm speaking as a non-Texan and not a native California <laughs> no, either. I, I just, largely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, And you've been in L.A. for how long? I've been in L.A. since 2006. So wow. this is home at this point. I, I like it here, too. Like, I concur about, like, there's, like, a kind of Texas vibe. And people here are actually pretty nice, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the L.A you know like the critique of how people are exists but it's not as prevalent it's also not everywhere it's a giant city yeah i mean i have nothing to do in my day-to-day life with the entertainment industry Mm. (laughs) um you know i think uh a lot of these kind of uh ideas and cliches about a type of person in los angeles comes from that milieu Um, definitely evan and i both (laughs) yeah can't say the same you know on a day-to-day basis Uh, but yeah no you know not to disparage i'm just saying no no no, those those ideas come from there's lots of great people in the human industry but yeah i think that all pretty much all the negative california stereotypes also come from that so yeah we're a company (laughs) town and i'm just not part of that company yeah Mm -hmm. interesting have have you been to the uh philosophical research society yeah uh recently as a matter of fact oh Mm -hmm. uh for an event or yeah i i saw the uh I don't know if it was a premiere, but I saw a, a, a showing of a an M.C. Escher documentary. Oh, cool. In their theater, mm. which was cool. And then uh, the time I had been before that, I went to an alchemical tincture uh, kind of display where these two women kind of showed you how, like, alchemy and perfume were sort of intrinsically linked. Oh, wow. And, like, the distillation yeah. of uh, oils and such. Yeah, the place is great. Nice. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so you've... You've been into esotericism and such for a while. I would or, say I yeah. I am I have a lay person's passing interest. Yeah. In in these ideas, and I'm not afraid of these ideas and um, the occult and like we have a sort of spooky section in our library over mm-hmm. here is an interest to both uh, Julia and I, but um, nothing more than like a, a, a sort of like passing lay person's interest. I don't think. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it seems to have some some influence, but yeah. I mean, it's in there. I mean, in the comics, I talk about high strangeness and, uh, you know, like various like extra human entities and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's certainly seeped into the work on some level. The Kali Yuga as well. Sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. How would you describe uh, the Kali Yuga? Like, do you can you describe it to me? Like what it is? You mean the actual concept of the Kali Yuga? Yes. 
uh, I forget the actual number, but something like 100,000 years of suffering. Mm. It's, the age, <laughs> yeah. it's the age of Kali, mm. the Yuga of Kali, which is a, a, a cleansing, suffering, you know, suffer-inducing force. Mm-hmm. Kali yeah. is also like the sort of like feminine chaotic force in that, in that uh, cosmology. Yeah. Which you capture pretty well in your very short but Thank good you. comic yes. yeah. uh, Very much yeah. so. Kali Yuga Law is the name of that comic, which yeah. is on my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like how, um, like Kali Yuga Law, like, um, what's the one about the shark fin soup? Uh, fin, sorry, I forget oh, the, the name. Oh, uh, the shark fin soup yeah. is called uh, Best Served Cold. Best Served yes. Cold. That was yeah. published with Apocalypse Confidential during their right. Summer of the Shark special. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, love love Apocalypse Confidential, love. too. Give them a shout-out. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, I like how some of your shorter comics, and some things you even just put on, in my notes, I have a few printed, like your... Uh, Harry Cruz. Oh, sure. And well back, you you basically, you kind of make memes, too, would you say? Almost. I mean, they're, maybe they're <laughs> no, not that's totally accurate. mimetic, but so, they have the same aesthetic. Yeah. So what people probably don't realize, because I'm not really focused, uh, social media is kind of exit only for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I put stuff up, walk away, chat a little bit in different group chats here and there, but like, it's pretty exit only. So what people may not realize is that when I put up an image that um, is a like a text macro or like a meme that looks like yeah. a comic panel, it is actually a comic panel from something that's coming up. So everything that you see functions on two levels. I, I put it out, I choose the ones to put out online that can function purely memetically. And then once you uh, get to see the next comic, um, that actually is plugged into the narrative. That's, they're just panels plucked from the comic. Yeah, so my, okay. my hope is that, that. They, yeah. they'll be able to exist on two levels. I see. Uh, well, I don't mean to make you speak about work before it's published, but uh, the you know, ones I pulled out include, you know, Wellbeck with the quote um, yeah. about not liking the world and Harry <laughs> Cruz, um, you know, kind of saying something similarly surly about yeah. being an artist. Are these all from the same work? Those are or? both from the same work. Yeah, they have uh, the same vibe. So I, I'm so close to finishing this, I don't mind speaking about it. Um, mm-hmm. I... Am ninety nine point nine percent finished with my next book. It will be called Self Licking Ice Cream Cone. <laughs> I'm self publishing. Uh, it's a black and white twenty two page comic um, that I am hoping to have uh, published by Christmas. Great uh, and available for purchase. Yeah, yeah for Christmas. <laughs> um, and yeah, the one that uh, you're referencing is a short about. Um, Various curmudgeonly inspirational figures. Yeah, Some they're of these, out there, right? yeah. they're <laughs> out there. Oh, in many such cases. Yes. But uh, yeah, it'll have eight shorts. Some only a page. Some, I think, the longest one is six pages. Uh, it will be somewhat like uh, how did we get here? In that there are bits of cultural commentary put forth in a sort of like Adam courtesy sort of manner, but there are also sort of. Uh, there's a crime fiction story. There's some like auto fictive stuff that's in there. Sweet. So a little bit more expansive and a little bit more um, narrativized and story driven. Very cool. Yeah, no, that's um, that's kind of an interesting segue to tie about. Uh, I'm gonna try and keep, it's, maybe it's an abstract question, but I'll try and make it as concrete as possible. Like um, the drive to make a comic book and the way that that is both an art project but also a writing project it's a kind yeah. of very 
Adam Curtis is kind of an apt comparison because like it's a similar, maybe it's somewhat similar to what he does with documentaries, where it's like yeah, he's going to delve into some pretty deep water um, sociological and intellectual topics, but it's done in a way that's really entertaining and has that cool um, sort of uh, old school TV vibe, almost, almost sure. switching from like really good music to the visuals, which is similar with the comic book, that same sort of grounded in a fundamentally very entertaining. Again, talking about earlier with the high low thing of the media very entertaining medium but delving into deep intellectual waters i guess what am i trying to ask you're 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 a cartoonist so it's what you do but sort of how do these pieces this is where the abstraction goes how do these pieces come together of like wanting to do art but also wanting to express something deeper intellectually Mm um i mean i imagine as an artist it probably all comes together sort of organically and you know what you want to make but Sure, if you could speak to that process. I know, absolutely. Yeah. It's actually a really clear line for me. So, um, like I said, I pursued fine art, uh, painting specifically. I was a sort of a figurative painter for roughly 20 years. I exhibited all over the place, tried to put myself in as many art fairs, as many galleries as I could. And uh, in 2019, I essentially woke up to the fact that I had become a kind of pay pig. I was uh, an engine for small galleries to sell work because I, my work did sell mm. from time to time uh, operating on these large group shows that always gave some donation element to some NGO or nonprofit somewhere. And I realized that this model thrives off of these artists who do perhaps sell but maybe don't have a giant name for themselves you get five of those in a group show you've made your nut for the month yeah. and you can donate which you know is a tax write off etc but I was never going to uh, graduate past that to um, solo shows of any renown or get into the next tier up of gallery spaces most of the gallery spaces I've shown in are uh, in strip malls and are now donut shops yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, a hot chicken place or whatever, you know, sneaker store, whatever it is. And uh, so I effectively retired in 2019. I hmm. um, destroyed all of my remaining artwork. So anyone who wow. owns a painting, its value just went up. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. There's no more. Uh, I got rid of all my art supplies. I wow. divorced myself from... Uh, I was going to stop completely. And uh, I began writing a book which I thought was going to be an art book and hope to peddle on uh, the art book circuit, of which there is a large one, and uh, maybe try to sell it through galleries, etc. And I had the seed of what became How Did We Get Here? Mm-hmm. And I realized first that as an art book that would have failed because I am railing against everything the art world is built on. And it would have been dead in the water. Right. Uh, and then for... No other reason... Well, actually, no, there is a reason. I, I began... Uh, for a number of reasons, I began looking back to comic books. Um, I didn't want to take in visual media. I stopped going to museums. I stopped going to art shows. Uh, and I didn't want to take in visual medium that I associated with this um, uh, kind of oppressive ideology that I had yeah. kind of unwittingly folded into simply by... Um, you know, giving them a quarter of my sales every time I would I would, yeah. I would sell a painting, um, and so a, a, as 
uh, an antidote to that, I just started re- buying up the old comic books that I read in the early 90s as a kid and became very inspired and wow. one day realized that this art book could become a comic book instead. And yeah. I had never made a comic. I drew the characters from comics that I liked as a child. But the endeavor from a creative standpoint is really monumental. It's, it's not quite like writing a novel. I'm not going to say they're tantamount. But the amount of work and man hours that it takes are incredible. So I'd never tried it. Uh, finally, I, you know, I kind of like woke up eight months later and had this book and uh, shopped it to a, a dear friend of mine who's a publisher. Uh, and uh, yeah, we released it in uh, 2021. That's the story mm. of how did we get here. Yeah, mm. yeah. Sorry, I I totally didn't realize that it was from 2021. Is, I thought it was yeah. newer for some reason. Well, uh, I am I a shill, my, and I yeah. will always uh, advertise it online. Uh, you could, you know, be forgiven. I think I took the advertisement <laughs> as the, but also I'll, I'll turn this into. Yeah, I think I took the advertisement that or I took the. Uh, you know, you're you're posting about it as that it was new, but I will also say. Uh, I mean, I guess 2021 isn't that long ago, so it isn't that surprising. But it feels very of the moment. Well, thank you. Um, mm, it does. You know, Thanks, um, yeah, it's kind of got a more. It feels like a very like post-pandemic perspective. Yeah, rather than mm. 2021, which was technically during the pandemic right. for a lot of people. Yeah, it was a weird um, long thing. Yeah. I started writing the seeds of it in 2019. Yeah, I think I really, really wrote it in 2020, early 2020. Yeah, so that tracks. To do, right? Yeah. Um, and if it still has relevance which I think it many people have, have said this. yeah I, I think it, yeah. it has more relevance now but if that's the case I, I would uh, attribute that to people just catching up with what I was so pissed off about in yeah. the middle of that year I think a lot of people have which is the cool yeah. part you know, yeah, at, I, at the absolutely. time it was still sort of fringe to have some of these perspectives you know uh, blurbing you know giving yourself a little for what's the word when you have a quote at the beginning of a book, why is the word not forward? Going to be? Not uh, forward. Uh, an epigraph. Uh, epigraph from oh. Nick Land. You yeah. know these kinds yeah. of things. These kinds of things have become a little more, uh, I think, common uh, yeah. since 2021. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. At the begin, yeah. the top of uh, how do we get here has an epigraph from Nick Land, from um, Feng Numina, right? Feng Numina, yeah. and then uh, followed immediately by uh, an epigraph of a Jose Canseco tweet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That should give you the the uh, intellectual breadth of the book. <laughs> Remind me what the Jose Canseco. Uh, he says something yeah. like, um, "Oh, come back, Miss." The yeah. truth is being um, constricted. Uh, I have the book. I'll yeah, find it. oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, perfect. <laughs> we have a physical copy. We live on a planet where the truth is dismissed and imprisoned on a consistent level. Truth, honesty, and honor is on the verge of extinction. Jose Canseco. Yeah. Hey. No. Good to have it. Yeah, uh, it's always so good much to have more beautiful in, in real copy. life. Yeah, yeah, we did admittedly read a PDF. I should buy, I, I will buy an like actual copy. Looks a little better than but, the PDF. Yeah, oh, for sure. No, it looks, I it loved looks your um, uh, extrapolations on the strokes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, was like, I wanted to bring up <laughs> the it. strokes. Because I've talked to you about the strokes, Evan, in the past. We, you were saying... Another I, one of our favorite er, authors, Mike Ma, right. idolizes the strokes. Yeah, yeah you were yeah, saying... Yeah. I don't know if you want me to say this. Well, yeah, I think I don't think you're going to have an issue with me saying this. Yeah. You thought that was the most cringe aspect of Mike Ma, was his love of Julian. Oh, Dustin. yeah, because <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Um, I was like, I, why do you give a shit? Yeah. I, I like this... I, I'm, I'm guessing I like the Strokes more than anyone at this table, but I'm not a total Strokes stan either. 
Uh, I actually, I mean, among other things I want to talk about this, I wanted to delve into the Strokes chapter. For me, it was, you know, most of it I agreed with wholeheartedly. I don't disagree with the Strokes part, but I want, I thought maybe there be, could be some, some conversation. I mean, do you, do you think the Strokes suck, or do you think what the Strokes represent sucks? So this is great. I, I, I've yet <laughs> yeah. to be able to talk about this with this book. I love the Strokes. Okay. Uh, that is this it was a huge record for me i am yeah, yeah. i'm 42 so i was 21 yes yeah, 20 when this yeah. record came out it hit me like a ton of bricks uh i loved everything uh, about this sort of like garage rock movement at the turn of the century it uh scratch an itch that like punk couldn't any longer because it was yeah. dead and you know had sort of like filtered through culture into uh, motocross and like uh, I don't know soda commercials or whatever. Yeah, they kind of like overly conceptual uh, political punk rock totally. and garage rock brought the fun back. Yeah. It brought the fun back. So yeah, I was on board. That's not really the point. Uh, I can I can hold two ideas in my head at the same time. Yeah, I kind of uh, thought I love the Strokes. Yeah. I think they're a great band. That well, that first two three records or whatever, great. Um, however, in this two page short, what I illustrate is that the Strokes and their ilk are responsible for us stopping thinking about the future because they came at a time when you know history was over man yeah <laughs> and so there are an amount i say in the book they're an amalgamation of tom petty the ramones and the replacements yeah we somehow couldn't put that together because they looked so cool and they were so sexy or whatever I also illustrate at the same time that 9-11 happened concurrently with their rise, as well as the love of vintage culture, vintage clothing, Mm -hmm. vintage furnishings, etc. Vote for Pedro's shirt here. Yeah, vote for Pedro's (laughs) in there. I reference uh, Richard Linklater's um, Dazed and Confused. Of course. Mm. Uh, We started to look backward culturally, and the piece ends with me saying we've essentially traded flying cars for white grandpa belts, the white grandpa belt being the, like accessory du jour of uh you know garage rockers at the time belt worn just askew just like so much uh yeah and uh and it's you know it's completely true in that that's the future that the future that was canceled was the future that back to the future envisioned totally like the film and that's what we maybe could have had as well as this is a sentiment echoed by one of the greatest thinkers, you know, Mark Fisher, yeah. and his oh, yeah, online writings. Yeah. And, uh, absolutely, this yeah. is my. This is probably the most Fisherian. Uh, mm. The slow cancellation of. The yeah, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a very um, like Mark Fisher. I owe I owe him a dollar for this one. <laughs> big topic, but I mean, so this this cancellation of the future that occurred and that has kind of continued to occur, and it relates also to your piece about endless Hollywood remakes. Ah, sure. Um, yeah, which is another great one. Um, huge topic here, but I mean, what is what do you think the driver on that is? I, there's like this is it sort is it sort of Freudian or is it are we kind of infantilizing ourselves to like always wanting to go back to what made us happy when we were kids or things we vaguely remember hearing on the radio? Like, do you, do you have any ideas about the way out of this? What it has become? Yeah, it started maybe it started around the time of the Strokes, but it's become this. There's so much nostalgia on top of nostalgia that people are nostalgic now for the Strokes. If you're, think, if you're aware of the term, uh, it's a silly term. What is it? Um, is it like indie a... sleaze. Oh, uh, right, um, right, right, right. There's no nostalgia for nostalgia, essentially. So it's kind of um, recursive and endless. And by, again, as you were saying, with the Strokes by no means is all of it bad. I like a lot of nostalgia. Sure. Yeah, it's not the point. Stuff, yeah. um, but but it does feel like a trap almost. Like, do you have any thoughts? And it's okay if not because it's a massive. 
a difficult topic, but how we can transcend this. Well, because it's so massive, I can only look at it yeah. uh, through my own lens and really only tackle a sliver of it. But you, you talk about like why this infantilization happens and why culture slows and uh, why nostalgia takes hold instead of a sort of futurism. And I think, you know, this was written largely in 2020. I think we can point to the state of exception that occurred during the pandemic and the attendant safetyism. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. That has grown along with this backward-looking ideology. And I think there's something there that goes really hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, safetyism. Safetyism. Yeah. Uh, 9-11 I, I would, I would was point the first yes. huge dose of safetyism. Absolutely. Yeah. We're very... 9-11's four days away? Or, oh, right. Tomorrow. 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 Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow. Kind of right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I would, I would mark the last 20... Two years, twenty-three years, uh, as a, a ramping up of safetyism, concurrent with a ramping up of uh, nostalgia and an inward sort of like view, rather than an outward like uh, sort of futurism. Yeah, I mean, I know it's something that like our mutual friend, meme analysis Chris Gabriel talks about. Sort of, maybe not in these terms, but just. A concern with the future and how we can kind of get out of these, you know, he's a Freudian, you know, these kind of um, repeated behaviors, I guess. And I, I don't really have an answer. I think what you said is a good, is definitely a good diagnosis of the of the problem. But I, I mean, I guess if there's any answer, it's almost like the only way out is is through or something like that, which kind of can be grim. Yeah, talking really about Kali Yuga, one hundred thousand years of suffering. Okay, so only way out is through. I don't know, and, but and that's yeah. that's you know at the very end, it's like uh, you know something really pertinent you brought up is like, should we accelerate or hit the brakes? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, that is the end. People do have that you know uh, choice, I suppose, in their own lives. Although yeah. that's a very like quote unquote controversial thing to say about like accelerationism yeah. and who accelerates and such. Um, yeah, that yeah. is a sign that this was really written in 2020 as I dropped the accelerationism. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. now it's now people kind of know what accelerationism yeah. is, to, yeah, yeah. to an extent. It's, it's yeah. reached a bit of a, a mass idea, but, so the book ends with um, our supra-terrestrial visitor, be he a robot or whatever mm -hmm. he is, mm -hmm. uh, sort of giving us an ultimatum, saying that, uh, you know, should we accelerate, should we hit the brakes, uh, it's up to you. If not, I will be back and I'll be armed with more than just conversation. Mm -hmm. So uh, this, again, mm -hmm. ties to the Kali Yuga, the, the sort of like age of struggle uh, that like things can get worse. And uh, if, you know, behaviors and um, sort of the grip of ideology isn't loosened, there, there could be darker times ahead. So that's mm -hmm. what I'm trying to hint at, hopefully humorously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's interesting, the character, the protagonist, you know, robot, alien, extraterrestrial being, uh, be he what he may, um, maybe he's even some kind of supernatural being, who knows, um, has that sort of, like, it's almost like a Nick Landian, like, uh, idea, I'm not super well versed in Nick Land, but you know, the esoteric dimension of that, like a, a visitor, either from space or perhaps from another dimension or a spiritual dimension, uh, who can come to warn and cultivate, but who can also destroy it. You know, you wouldn't read this and think of it as it, of it being that esoteric, per se, or certainly not religious, but it does kind of, whenever you're delving into that Nick Land techno, um, what's the word, like techno, cyber... Uh, it's like I guess cyberpunk, cyberpunk future that yeah. he writes oh, yeah. about. Techno-esoterica. Uh, yeah, it's certainly that. Yep. I mean, at the time, I was pretty... 
fresh off reading like CCRU, Fang Numina, mm. etc. Um, there is like a, a hyper techno capital pessimism that runs through yeah. this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if there's something I tried to do uh, with that, it was to remove it directly from the sort of William Gibson-esque, uh, you know, techno pessimism and bring it into like a quasi spiritual dimension. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's there are two uh, two kind of giveaways in this book that that's the case one is the last page which illustrates somewhat what this character is gives you like a statistics sheet on it uh, and i won't spoil that Mm -hmm. and then another one is very early in the book there's a there's a passage where the character's name is void Mm -hmm. Uh, void tells us that there have been entities in the past who have tried to sway humanity in one direction or another but we never paid them all that much mind yeah right right right. and we have a bigfoot we have a christian (laughs) angel we have uh, the mothman (laughs) there is a classic gray alien and there's even a lizard person in a suit Hmm. um so i i try to play all sides here intentionally to get to a sort of a a 10,000 foot blurred eye truth mm-hmm. um, another way I tried to do that was to ensure that someone on the far left and someone yeah. on the far right could probably each get something out of this book I think so this is not a quote unquote red pilled yeah. uh, book it's a pilling book I'm that hoping point. to yeah. deliver truths um, but it's my point is not to be lockstep with a certain ideology here. I'm 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 really shooting for a capital T truth, at least in insofar as I understand it. Right, and the targets of the book are very multifaceted, uh, very very you know very, just various you know um, a, a variety of of targets. I mean, I'm just flipping through now. Don't want to spoil too much of the book, but to give people a sense, you know, you, you take on. Recycling, everything from recycling to the abolition of boredom. I'm looking at the disruptors page. You know, it's not like when you're talking about disruptors, you're just taking aim at one like lefty right. Silicon Valley lead. You know, you got Jordan Peterson here, um, and, whatever, and, and Marie Kondo. Marie Kondo, <laughs> yeah. just a, a variety of people, sort of from and Steve Jobs, of course. Just you know, aiming for a capital T truth. Taking down people from very different realms of the culture yeah. with equal measure, uh, and that's the beautiful thing about uh, your comics in that you're delivering, you know, these these truths. But yet, um, if we were reading this as a blog post, it would be very—I mean, not the writing itself, but the sentiments. You know, people would be more apt to take certain sides, but the memetics and the um, Jungian placement of your archetypal imagery, mm. which I'm sure you're very, you know, versed in. <laughs> In regards to where to place things and how the human eye, you know, like sure. he's talking and you put him over on this side, like it's awesome. Oh, thank so you. So it feels that, so I mean, good. Uh, yeah. Some of that, some of that is intuitive. Some of that comes from the literature and things I've read, like Young, etc. But mm. some of it is just um, being a cartoonist and blocking and thinking like a film director. Yeah. So you know, in some cases, that um, that intrinsic value that comes from placement of characters or placement of furniture or items in mm-hmm. the frame. There, that's where the alchemy actually happens because I may not intend all of these things to unfold the way they do, but given you know just enough thought, they happen. The dominoes fall in the right way. And uh, mm-hmm. not to presume, but I bet you like the film A Scanner Darkly. I love Scanner. Darkly. I know, and, yeah. and uh, I, I I could maybe presumably I was like he must like Scanner Darkly because it's sure. so good, and yeah. like it reminds me of your work a lot. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. Link love- later is another you know 
I feel like it's like a certain Texas artistic Texas vibe. I don't know. That oh, sounds totally. really cringe way of describing no, it. No, that's, that's, yeah, it's like that's, you know, that's totally um, apt. Uh, so Linklater is special to me mostly because of the film Slacker, mm-hmm. a little bit older. Mm-hmm. That was like my like intro to him and. It blew my mind. I love Scanner Darkly. I, I even like his most, arguably most cringe film, which is uh, Waking Life, which is just a, <laughs> yeah. a barrage That's of it. like philosophical tidbits over and over and over, and there's no real plot, and it's all a dream or whatever. Which is kind of a terrible movie, but I even like that. But like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of I can see why it would be up your alley. Yeah, because you know, it, it, it is animated, right? And yeah, it's like rotoscoped over, yeah, with, you know, traced animation. Um, you know, you could almost make a similar movie out of uh, How Did We Get Here? You know what I mean? Yeah. At least a scene, yeah. right? Totally. Um, that was no, very awesome. cool. Um, yeah. And you know, being from San or from Dumas, and then moving to San Angelo, uh, my parent, my dad was a um, uh, in the military and he's a clerk now and my mother stays at home uh, so in a way that helped define who I am but sure. for you like what is your background like did were you you know uh, did you witness these things as a young person and then you came to later you know 40 years late, 30 years later read Fang Numina or were you always into reading about philosophy in your life um, or were your parents not, philosophically minded not really uh, friends? so my mom is a, a sort of a seeker type mm-hmm. uh, lefty very sweet woman very like interested in uh, you know for a while she was a Buddhist when I was a mm-hmm. kid she oh, went wow. to various churches her family was a part of a this like mid-century northern Texas like radio Baptist church um, so like there's this weird technological element to their church because it was broadcast over the radio mm-hmm. and my father's side of the family is um, quietly Protestant yeah. Um, you, you know, uh, so religion was not really a thing growing up because they kind of disagreed. So mm-hmm. they were like, oh, well, let the kids figure it out. So like, <laughs> yeah. uh, Same here. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not particularly religious. I uh, I identify as like believing in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not like particularly like practicing. I don't attend a church. Um, so like I come from that like late lefty kind of humanist milieu which i have trained myself out of essentially um but uh i am simply interested in being an autodidact like i went to college two years i hold no degree i dropped out i went Mm -hmm. to a couple community colleges and then i just decided to start reading books one at a time and that has served me far better yep that's what people say, you know, that's what people tell me. I didn't go yeah. to school either, and I I fancy myself as one as well. And it's really fun, and you can just go off into anything that you feel, Absolutely. and you're ready, and you finish yeah. the book, and you take what you what you got from it, even if you didn't finish it yeah. sometimes. Leave yep. the hindmost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I have an interesting relationship with that, too. Like, my father is a professor of philosophy, like, very academic background, and I, I did go to college. I graduated, but, like, you know, there's a part of me that I always wondered if I should have gone back, gotten a PhD, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. my dad. Right. Um, and maybe that still would have been a good vocation for me. But I, you know, I like to think of my, I like to think of myself more as an autodidact now, and I think yeah. there's a lot of advantages to that. Um, obviously, how much education costs. I mean, you probably could have almost done a whole thing in how did we get here about education. I mean, there's probably <laughs> yeah. any, you probably yeah. could if have. There's written, a part two. It's going in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have written volumes and volumes, honestly, of, of different. Takedowns. These I, I, t- I gather a lot of the ones in um, How Did We Get Here are just kind of the most personally pertinent was the feeling I mm-hmm. got. Well, uh, like I said, I was very uh, antagonistic toward the capital A art world. So it all started yes. with, the, the, with the piece we have open the now. The piece we have That's open now, the art world. Bring up, yeah. Uh, that was the nugget. 
um, that was the reason I knew it could not be an art book and the reason <laughs> it is a comic. Yeah. And the reason I make comics now. Uh, I've absolutely fallen in love with this format. It is, uh, like you said, it's, it's half writing, which I'm not much of a writer, but I've read enough. I understand how stories move. I understand uh, how narratives progress. Yeah. And I think I'm getting better. No, it's good, yeah. Uh, illustration and cartooning is vastly different. It's not just drawing, you know, some singer's face on a t-shirt and putting some lovely text yeah. in there or anything. You're blocking scenes. You're really a, you become a, like, filmic director. Yeah. Uh, and that is a different skill set that I am still learning on the fly, but I think I'm getting better at. So in middle age, seeing myself get better on two separate creative fronts that a dovetail into one another has been really powerful. No, it's it's really, really very cool. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask something about our world and slip my mind. Give me a sec. Um, Quick, yeah, uh, go while you think of that, yeah. um, have you seen that movie? Uh, Chainsaw Buzzkill or Buzzkill Chainsaw? No, it's literally about the art world. Oh. It's on Netflix. But... Oh no, I have seen this. It's, yeah. it's great. Yeah, it looks um, like Buzzsaw. the same vibe. Buzzsaw. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed gosh. it. It was yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. Mm-hmm. What I don't know, I haven't seen that. Maybe I should. Maybe it ties into what I'm going to say. I, I think one thing, and I'm sure you probably agree with this on some level. One thing I find really sad is a lot of people. You know, the, you highlight a lot of the sort of bullshit of the art world and the way things are for profit um, and the way art just becomes totally commodified. Um, and the way, I mean, to, to a lesser extent, but till, still present, like just kind of the silliness also of a lot of, you know, um, abstract and figurative art. Um, I think a lot of like a sort of normie audience would agree that like a lot of that, the art world is silly, kind of similar with the fashion world. The normie totally. response is like, yeah. yeah, that stuff is bullshit. And what's kind of sad is like, they're right up to a point. Like yeah. your criticisms here, I actually think are what most people think. Um, but what's sad is a lot of people throw the baby out with the bathwater and then just assume all art is pretentious. Right. So uh, that's one of the real tragedies is it's taken art further from the common man and absolutely. made it more of this elite thing by by packaging the good aspects of art and layers of bullshit. Now, one can be an autodidact and get around it. I'm not saying it's that pessimistic. No, 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 you're actually I think correct. Yeah. I, th- I think I have kind of two ideas about this. One, bell curve meme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. The guy on the far left, <laughs> art's retarded. Guy on the far right, art's retarded. <laughs> They're both right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the other idea I have here is that going back to the idea of the end of history and infantilism, I have seen the art experience, the capital A art experience, the gallery, museum experience change so dramatically, especially over the last 10 years, where by any controversy is snuffed out for the safety of the viewer. Oh yeah, well that's an even There are there are, are yeah. Philip Gustin paintings that depict um, Ku Klux Klan members that are housed in museums with a black slider bar and a warning on them. So you have to understand that you may see a Klansman when you remove this sheath. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So if that is the state of where we're at, I'm in hard agreement with the normie that thinks art is retarded. Yeah. Because it yeah. has become absolutely flattened to yeah. in the service of safety. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Again, the safetyism as a critical driver of yeah. a lot of very negative uh, developments. <laughs> um, I also wanted to, you know, uh, we talked a little bit about Nick Land, how this book isn't like a red pill book right. per se. But I am curious, you know, how you came across 
I guess Nick Land. I, th- I don't. You don't reference like Bronze Age pervert in here or anything, but like he is. And I don't know if you don't, let me know if there's anyone you don't want to bring up because they're controversial. Fine. But I feel like increasingly it's you know as we talked about earlier. With every year that passes, more and more of this stuff is totally normal and actually okay to kind of bring up as like something that's part of your. I'm I'm yet. absolutely fine with it. Um, I try to read the widest swath of things I can. Uh, whether that means intentionally seeking things that are quote-unquote controversial uh, or reading classics simply because they're not read. Uh, Again, I try to be as widely read as possible. Uh, There are no, like, pretensions toward, uh, you know, the longhouse or unlived space or any, like, the Bronze Age perfect ideas here because I hadn't read them. Uh, Would they be here if not? Maybe. Maybe it would be a a slightly different book. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, I enjoy that stuff. I enjoy transgressive literature for its own sake yeah uh i i don't think i'm an edgelord there's nothing edgy per se in my output um but i really do try to read the widest swath of experience i can and allow that to inform my work as best it can yeah no absolutely i mean one can't help but think when reading this that like a lot of what you describe is the issues uh well what Bronze Age pervert and what other dissident right people call like the bug man. Right. Um, but also, look, bug man is just kind of a, more or less a play on. But. Oh, yeah, it's right man, on the front. Right? It is yeah. referenced. I do oh, yeah, I think I had man. noticed that. <laughs> yeah. So you do reference it. Um, but even that's kind of a play on, you know, the Nietzsche idea of yes. the last man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so these are these are hardly ideas that any one political camp has a monopoly on. Agreed. But, uh, Agreed. Yeah. And I really try to. I yeah. try to. Um, I try to bring in as wide an audience as I can without um, allowing for poisonous ideas. Yeah, for sure. And what that means is I have no intention of being the next Mike Ma for comics. Mm -hmm. I have no intention of uh, trying to write a uh, barbarian saga about conquering the West. Um, (laughs) I can only speak to what interests me at the moment and what really upsets me generally. Yeah. No, absolutely. More I mean, cultural critique than uh, yeah. Julius Evola or Spangler. <laughs> right. And it's, it's just, as you said, it's, it's uh, you know, oftentimes the best inspirations aren't from these highfalutin intellectual ideas, but rather something that you really feel on a gut level. Things absolutely. That piss you yeah. off. Intuition that, is very yeah, real. Yeah. Mm. No, no, definitely. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about, I, I, one thing I liked that you highlighted in a different interview was how you listen to a lot of podcasts while you work. Oh, totally. Uh, I was Absolutely. curious if you still did that. And I also, um, it's less a question, more of a comment. It's easy to imagine how you would develop, um, you know, the, the wide variety of different types of thinkers like Nick Lamb, like BAP, like, sure. um, you know, any number of people who kind of, you know, and these, you know, writers like Wellbeck, who, who you cite in the work we discussed earlier, it's easy to imagine how you can come across these through the medium of podcasting, because podcasting, I really think, so much is um, one, one of the key, like, open grounds for, like, new ideas. Absolutely. These days, yeah. I mean, it, what, what is it? It's people in your head talking about ideas. Yeah. Generally, those ideas come from source material. And the people in your head talking about these ideas if they're worth their salt, will show their sources. This is something I've always been interested in. When I was young and I was less inspired by uh, philosophy or literature, I would go back and meticulously research the lineage of a band. Who were their inspirations? Yeah, who were their same. inspirations? Yeah. And that comes from like a punk rock idea uh, of like, uh, you know, credibility or authenticity yeah, yeah, or whatever right. that's worth. Uh, to, you know, until you're all the way back to some like nascent blues man, 
or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that idea, it's the same thing. It's just uh, for larger concepts. Yeah. But yeah, I'm sure podcasting and, and you know having these voices in my head constantly certainly feeds that. Um, same thing occurs in in books quite a bit. Right. You'll you'll you know read that X was influenced by Y, so you go buy those books, etc. But yeah, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm interested in archiving ideas and the source of said ideas. Yeah, no, very much. Do you still listen to a lot of podcasts? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. I've definitely like since like the time I wrote this, I was probably listening to like mm-hmm. really like dissident political podcasts like uh, i'm sure that probably is illustrated in the book far less so now i like listening to like chill casts where like it's guys talking about a movie and like i'll go on the occasional podcast and do that and uh i really enjoy like um long form um dives into current creators which is something you guys are really great at Mm -hmm. um as well as like art of darkness yeah uh I know you guys have worked with those yeah. guys a couple yeah. times. Um, that's kind of the zone I'm, I'm more interested in. It's yeah, just no, like great, yeah. lineage of creativity kind of goes back to what I was talking to a second yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, my podcasting started with New Ride and now, you know, other kind of solo podcasts. I'd be like, uh, I started off very much interested in like intellectual, ideological. Totally. I, you know, I started out with like something to say kind of thing. Totally. I still have something to say, but like increasingly I kind of like... Um, Stuff that's more focused on the creative and artistic aspects, yeah. like Art of Darkness, is totally. a great, great example. Yeah. Um, really respect what those guys do. They do longer podcasts than me. They do, you know, they go hard, voluminous yeah. research. But they're do you, are you familiar with Art of Darkness? You maybe no. Them. Yeah, you should check them out. They're cool. One day. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyhow, um, this is kind of a silly question, but I'll throw it out there. Do you think podcasting can be an art, or do you think of it? I don't know because people go back and forth. I think. Again, podcasts like Perfume Nationalist and, and Red Scare, to a certain extent, even kind of ushered in an era where people get really sort of aesthetic about the way they present their podcast and like the lifestyle. Um, but maybe some of it's silly. I don't know. I'm just curious if you had a thought on if it can really be an well, art because I have mixed views on that. But. I have mixed views on it as well. Um, you know, just as a as a listener, as an atomized singular yeah. person, I look at it for sources of inspiration. I look at it as sources of uh, new voices uh, in, in writing, literature, etc. So in that regard, I look at it pretty um, singularly as uh, artifice, not art. It's yeah. good for an end for me. Now that said, uh, just to... I didn't plan on talking about this, but uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the podcast Ghost Jail heard of it okay they're kind of an esoteric it's it's kind of an esoteric audio ephemera uh, right. generally about a certain idea yeah but they just released i think a three-hour radio play yes and it's kind of a hell house like a it's this crazy like warning about um death and like what it could mean and involves some kind of like techno pessimism like nick landian ideas and stuff like kind of like how did we get here frankly yeah. <laughs> uh I would say that approaches art. Definitely. I mean, I think you also know um, uh, Brendan Lusso. Um, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, Tales from the Mall. Tales from the Mall. Um, Fantastic. Tales from the Mall is great, but also he, he did a long radio He play. did the, um, yeah. the Isolation The chamber. Isolation Chamber. I feel like that's I would say that's probably, around the same, the, around yeah. same, the cultural space as uh, Ghost Jail. I think it exists. I think it's early days. It's kind of nascent. Yeah. 
So but it's new radio drama. Basically. New radio. It's just radio yeah, yeah. drama, and that's not anything new. But maybe because it's a podcast, and you can plug it into your little pocket computer, it has a bigger reach. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, I think potentially. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think we're in the nascent stages of a lot of this. What uh, Jack from TPN always talks about is the idea of the, the podcast is like an ongoing soap opera, right? right. Uh, which it does. They do feel that, especially sure. his Red Scare to an extent that you know you kind of grow. You plug with back the in. People. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think there's an even for non sort of fictive fictional ones there is that artistic element but then it's like yeah I guess it's more soap opera which is not what people think of when they think of high art but you know all the I mean, a lot of things I think can be have that artistic element but sure. but fundamentally I do you know as a podcaster this I do I mean I, I do think of it as a creative outlet to be doing stuff like this but at the same time um, it's a little more um, what's the word I don't, I don't know it's a little more like media. It's like, it's like the equivalent of writing. It's more like journalism than like writing fiction. I can journalism can that. be an art too. You know, it's kind yeah. of gonzo. No, I can see uh, that. These are silly <laughs> debates in some ways. Like, what, <laughs> who cares what is, is and isn't art? I just thought as an artist I, I, and as a podcast well, appreciator, I would say, I'd love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I can't be the arbiter of what is or what is not art as a retired artist. However, I will say it's given me lots of inspiration a lot of podcasts have truly inspired me given me new ideas that's a generative proposition and i'm uh, far more concerned day to day with what's generative rather than what's artistic yeah no no that's a really good way of looking at it i think podcast is highly generative in terms of for me i always say um like it's almost like a, something that you wouldn't want to advertise but i'm kind of an open book about it like it's just a really good way to meet people. Like, totally. how, how do you get interesting people to talk to you? Well, you don't just say, uh, uh, I mean, you can say, I would love to grab coffee or something, but it's much more interesting to be it's like, oh, let's do my podcast. Yeah. Well, easier than wearing a sandwich board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? Standing on the street wearing a oh, sandwich yeah, yeah, board. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It's, um, <laughs> it's a connector of dots. It's highly yeah. generative of ideas. You know, the, the art of conversation, so we say, is a big part of it. But anyway. Have you ever listened to uh, Schizotopia? I've heard of that. No, I have heard of it. It's like this similar vibe where it's like, are the techno communists listening to Deleuze? Or it's, okay, like, it's like okay. that kind of where they just like say a bunch of crazy Some theory words. gobbledygook. Yeah, literally. Yeah, so that's just a I'm kind of thing getting of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, interesting. Well, we touched on the idea of you know kind of comics as memes earlier, sure. but uh, maybe we could delve a little bit more into that. I mean, Great. again, we did meet at meme analysis as event. How did you come across Chris's work? I mean, was it was it through Aonic Comics or did you kind of? No, I followed Chris somehow. I think this is quite some time ago at this point. I'm not sure he was even doing like uh, memes proper. I think he was doing. Um, simple man-to-camera stuff. Yeah, YouTube. About the yeah. future, about ideas yeah. on YouTube. And I think I just reached out to him was like, uh, some specific video essay he'd done, I think I got a kick out of and just cold emailed the guy and he was like, great. And then uh, he was in town before he lived in Los Angeles and we went out to a bar one night and hung out and kind of like late pandemic-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, uh, yeah we've just kind of been friendly ever since. Yeah, very cool. Do you have many thoughts on memes as like uh, sure. in the way it relates to sure. your work? I know that's another abstract one. I just, uh, you know, meme analysis talks about other people talking about it too. Memes as this, I mean, not to keep revolving the conversation, is X and Y and Z art, but like, you know, what do you think of memes as like a modern form of art and their power and their danger perhaps their well, archetypal significance yeah no this is a great this is a great question because as someone who has for 20 plus years 
made painstaking, um, detailed, careful images with their hands. The advent of meme culture came initially as an absolute shock. Yeah. I'm sure it's how a lot of people feel about AI currently. It's the way I felt about memes in, let's say, 2010, 2009, whatever. Uh, I realized there was now a, an immediacy with image making and image and text combinations uh, that preceded and sort of built a new language. And this has directly influenced the way I have made work. Uh, it led me to try to be more efficient, to try to cut down on time. And these are all like late capitalist kind of like weird things that you probably shouldn't think about when you're making art. But when it's tied to money and you got to pay rent, these things are concerns. Yeah. Uh, so that's how it began for me. Later, I realized what I was doing was divorced from this very like quick, fast-paced ideology, and that being slow, you know, there's a phrase when you're using a firearm, it's that slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And instead of trying to keep a pace with mimetic imagery, I decided, let me take that one image, parse it apart across a comic, make many panels, extrapolate the idea, slow is smooth, smooth yeah. is fast. I I end up with a further polished, better realized product by not trying to keep a pace with mimetics. Now that all said, it, that's how it's affected yeah, my practice. Yeah. But that, that all said, it's a brand new language. It's a, it's a, uh, I don't know, Cthuloid techno-capital language yeah. all its own that we can reference and uh, like language, you know, I brought up the uh, the bell curve meme. You both knew exactly what I was talking about. Exactly. This is a this is a <laughs> linguistic huge idea, yeah. Linguistic visual whatever connection, yeah. A shorthand for communication, and in that, it's incredibly powerful. Seeing what memes have done, and meme culture, and the meme plex or whatever you want to call it, have done to like things like stand up comedy. Yeah. Like I used to be really into stand up, and like. Nothing hits harder than a hilarious oblique meme to me. Yeah. Uh, I saw Nick Mullen last year. It was great. I had a blast. Yeah. But like, I don't know, was it as funny as like the, the last five memes that I saw that like huh. really blew me away? I don't know. Yeah. No diss to that yeah. guy. It's a different mm-hmm. format. But it's, it's rewiring our brains uh, for communication. So, um, you know, I know a lot of people who just discount their import and I think that's absolutely foolish. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, I'm sure these are even kind of old ideas in 2020. No, I, but, but I think it's important to unpack them. And I, I liked especially what you said because sort of the relationship with memes and your work. You're not making memes, but I think, like, as you said, it's like in comics in particular, which, you know, has the formal similarity to memes and it being yeah. pictures and words. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you can you can unpack them further. Yeah. And I mean, that's more... I've never been... I've never really made a meme. I'm not... I mean, we're all into meme culture. As you said, they're hilarious. They're a part of our lives, but... I'm I'm a little bit more like I like to unplug and like sit down with a, a book or a comic Absolutely. book. So I, I think there's still a place for that um, freeze of the chaos of the you know the internet kind of presents things in an overstimulating chaotic way, which yeah. can be really fun. But I think well the other the other thing taking that was good. Yeah, um, is to crystallize there there is a there is a strong power in post modernity in 2023 in the land of memes. Yeah, in crystallizing narrative. Yeah. In telling a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, 
you are taking someone outside of the non-narrativized endless scroll and putting them back into human time. Yeah, yeah. Your story could be terrible and you're still doing that. Yeah. And that is a, that's an arresting power in the land of the scroll. Yeah. In the, you mean the land of like the physical book? Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, no definitely. Uh, bringing a conversation back to physical media. But yeah, it is um, important to unplug and, and be able to hold. And before that, we move yeah. on to the physical media, sure. I'd just yeah. like to talk about kind of the mythological notion of the hypothesis, you know, by Chris, um, that like, for example, uh, the mythological connection between, for example, like Apollo or Wojak being like Apollo right. and Pepe. Sorry to spit. And Pepe is like. The Dionysus. Is Dionysus. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you think there's a uh, weight to that sentiment at all? Or do you, do you kind of... I personally see the connection. Oh, I uh, certainly see the connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah I truck with that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially since you, you have to take Pepe as a whole. You have to mm. see what happened to that character. It was created by a cartoonist named Matt Fury. Yeah. yeah. And that guy's an avowed lefty man that's a, yeah, that's yeah. a sweetheart peace sign <laughs> loving like uh, Bay Area dude mm-hmm. and to see what happened to his figure taken from him illustrates a certain Dionysian like ascendancy oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because he has no control he'll never get it back yeah. he's, he's he made tried. videos yeah. where he dies and uh, you know he's he's made videos where he goes through karmic cycles and stuff and it's it's never gonna catch man that the people own that the you know the culture for whatever it's worth, own that now. And in that, I mean, I the last time I saw something like that was like the Bob Dobbs figure right. from the oh, Church yeah. of Subgenius. Oh, yeah, you're a, you're a subgenius fan. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm uh, very much a fan. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and that entire visual, la- not to get sidetracked, but their entire no, no, visual language it, is, yeah. is cartooning-based. It's comic-based, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, Another Texas original. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. <laughs> but, uh, you know, these figures that get wrenched from their creators, Mickey Mouse is another, you know, there are several. Yeah. But um, seems like Disney's reined Mickey back in a little oh, yeah. bit. But if anyone could take back their figure, yeah. it's Disney. <laughs> interesting test case of someone, a corporation that was powerful enough to totally, do it. Totally. Um, but, yeah. you know, you'll never uh, escape the, like, seditionaries shirt, the old punk shirts, like Mickey hanging himself. Those still exist, you yeah. know. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, once something escapes velocity like that, I think it only strengthens the point. Of course, okay. Very no, interesting. Very so we much. want to talk about physical media. Oh, no, it was more oh, about okay. just bringing it back to an earlier stage in the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, highlighting the importance of physical media, but I think we've probably beat that beat that horse a bit. Um, uh, so your, yeah, your next book's coming out uh, before Christmas. Yeah, hopefully yeah. I'll have it ready for Christmas. Awesome. Uh, it's called Self-Licking Ice Cream Cone. Hoping to self-publish it. Just a regular comic. Uh, eight shorts. Uh, some parapolitical, some autofiction, mm-hmm. and a, a weird... Call it a soft-boiled crime drama. <laughs> yeah, right on. Very cool. Are you still? Work, are you going to work with? A, or I don't know. I'm sure you'll get another. Because um, how do we get here? Is blurred by Apocalypse Confidential. It seems like those guys are very much on your wavelength, or you're on theirs. I really. I just yeah. uh, did a uh, header illustration for Apocalypse Confidential's most recent uh, special presentation, yeah. which is called, I, I believe, John Ford and uh, Dust. John Ford and oh my god, they're going to kill me. I can't remember it. But uh, they're, they're great. It's a special uh, presentation about kind of uh, 
1950s proto futurist uh, Las Vegas vibe. Yeah, no, there's <laughs> such a cool. good example cool. of of a group of guys who kind of came out of the political side of Twitter and made something that's completely. I mean, I guess I'm not, it's obviously not completely non-political, but like it's well, it, very. It's similar to what you're doing. It's very. I, I, it's founded. I, I consider yeah. them a kindred spirit because there is uh, there are ideas that we both cling to that we would like to see represented in art that we both feel are underrepresented in art. I wouldn't speak for them, but that's what I see in their work. Um, and I, you know, I enjoy working with sort of fellow traveler kindred spirits yeah. on, on that regard because uh, it's not always what you can do uh, to pay the bills. Yeah. So if I can um, work with uh, publishers like them, another great example is the publisher of uh, How Did We Get Here? First to Knock, yeah. uh, run by the great Michael Daly. Uh, working with them uh, on a possible new project still in the early Do they publish days. most of his comics or other... No, yeah. um, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I, I, I'm one of two uh, cartoonists that they publish. They yeah. do uh, translations of lost French classics. Oh wow! Uh, they very different. They, very <laughs> very different. Yeah. This is why I'm very happy to be involved with them, uh, because the ideas are what allows me entree into a publisher like this, mm-hmm. which I'm very happy about. Uh, they do. They have a great horror anthology that my girlfriend has a short in uh, about right. like a nature horror. Yeah. Um, yeah. They do. Um, they, they've republished and translated Wiesmont. Like. Yeah. Quite a bit of really interesting, sort of highly intellectual stuff. Uh, Michael Daly, the publisher, also wrote a long uh, form, very interesting biography. Um, it was the first one to be published by them called Bobby Blue Jacket hmm. um, about um, a oh, Tulsa, yeah. Oklahoma native man in the 50s who became a bit of a crime boss. Gotcha. Oh, interesting. Thoroughly interesting, yeah. kind of all over the map. You know, a lot like Apocalypse Confidential, they have a, a, a pretty um, succinct point of view that they're interested in getting out into the world. Um, so that's yeah. kind of the people I like working with the most at the moment. Definitely. Um, we have the punk documentaries page in um, How Did We Get Here open, and I'm kind of thinking about this with regard to talking about Apocalypse Culture, or not Apocalypse Culture, Apocalypse Confidential, um, and other sort of small publishers, and obviously this podcast is kind of part of the subculture of this part of Twitter, or whatever sure. you want to call it. Um, I'm curious if you had any general thoughts. You know, you, you highlight in this punk documentaries section how... Um, once vital subcultures get sort of commodified, beaten to death, and stripped of all meaning, um, which maybe that's part and parcel of what we were talking about earlier with the general nostalgia overload of things. Um, but do you do you kind of view you know what's going on on online and sort of in these intersecting spheres that we're a part of as as a it's almost a tired topic, but as kind of a new and vital subculture? And and if so, um, how do we avoid the fate of the punk documentary? Uh, or maybe that's not even an issue we have yet. But I, I don't think yeah. we're there yet. No, definitely but, not. Uh, and maybe I, never will be. And maybe never will be. Yeah. But I will say this. Stop naming things. Mm-hmm. That'll help. Yeah. Stop giving stuff titles and names. So maybe I shouldn't even ask the question, right? No, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah. it's fair. And I, uh, you know, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking yeah. to no, um, I get what you're saying. sort of yeah. the, uh, the ideaplex at large. Keep things gray. Keep things small. Um, and... You, you know, well, speaking of certain ideologues within this uh, sphere, uh, you know, Curtis Yarvin talks a lot mm-hmm. about like waiting until the time is right to make a, a sort of move for a political shift. Um, 
Now, I'm not into politics necessarily, but uh, I I think that idea rings true. Yeah. Uh, you know, wait till you have a head of steam and then figure out what you're going to do before you just get co-opted or shut down. Yeah. Mm. No, I think that's good. Good advice. Speaking of punk documentaries, have you seen uh, Decline of Western Civilization? Oh, sure. Oh, that's a Penelope's good... The original punk That's a good punk documentary. That's a great... You know what? Again, I, I have a black flag tattoo. I have a number <laughs> of, like, uh, awful stick-and-poke punk tattoos from 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, I identified as a punk rocker when I was young and uh, I whatever. It's also not... makes it sad to see. So it makes it sad. Things, yeah. But that's, you know, I really relish in the idea of... Uh, skewering my own heroes especially subcultural heroes from youth because in seeing them be co-opted there's a lesson there and you know time is a flat circle and it'll happen again and again and again and maybe we can just avoid the hero worship next time before it gets there (laughs) yeah no Um, that that flavor kind of I think exists throughout your work and and throughout how did we get here uh, in terms of um, yeah being willing to be critical of your childhood and, sure. and adolescent heroes i think yeah. it's important and it's kind of an antidote to maybe it's one small antidote to the endless stream of nostalgia is to be like well no it's not exact you know to avoid the hero worship which totally. becomes totally yeah. tired yeah i mean you know yeah. w- one thing attendant with safetyism is like hagiography of someone who's not relevant now as long as you know, as long as the CIA really did something evil 20 yeah. years ago, we can talk about it, but not today. Yeah. As long as someone was uh, in a great movie 20 years ago, you can worship them. But if they're still making movies, it's a little bit off limits. Yeah, I mean, um, now people are critical of someone like William Burroughs to some extent now, but but he kind of has gone through that hagiography. Hey, Definitely, get, maybe Burroughs, people know Burroughs had some edgy stuff, but like Ginsburg, maybe even a better example, where he is sort of beatified as this countercultural figure it's like if this person was actually still alive today and really and maybe they'd be sort of a corporate sellout now but if they're if not if or they were canceled. still or canceled <laughs> and as probably either of those men by modern standards would <laughs> yeah, be certainly. um but but again yeah it's a really interesting point you're making that things get total it's this way that and not sound too lefty anti-capitalist but it's i think a way that like the sort of corporate system of powers that be um part, part of their controlled opposition is uplifting um, heroes that seem to represent some kind of rebellious spirit. Mm-hmm. And can't are, speak for themselves. But can't speak for themselves because yeah. they're dead. Uh, yeah. Maybe in certain cases they genuinely did sort of sell out later in life, but maybe it's simply because they can't speak for themselves. That seems to be a big part of, like, you can be rebe- rebellious by buying this, um, you know, co- black and white coffee table book of William S. Burroughs <laughs> totally. photos from your whatever store to put on your Ikea coffee table. Perhaps uh, <laughs> one of the greatest yeah. examples being, like, maybe Kurt Cobain. Oh, fantastic yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. fantastic sad. example. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Kurt Cobain would be uh, doing Target ads with his grandkid, you know. <laughs> I saw and... a meme like I saw a meme like that. It was like would Kurt Cobain be a uh, you know, uh, vax maxed, you know, like uh, oh, yeah, today or would he be the opposite and uh, He'd have Probably. the, like, vacuform uh, <laughs> thing on his face. You know, some takes picture of him in a plane with the, like, <laughs> mask, guys. crazy mask. Yeah, it's just a mask. Yeah, he wears the shirt mask of, you know. Fuck drop. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, definitely. Um, but speaking of rip. figures, I, one thing I... What were you going to say? Something? I just said rip. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> want to talk a little more squarely about literature for a sec. Um, you did, um, on the show I did for New Right with... Uh, 
J.L. Mackey. We talked about Harry yes. Cruz. And yes. uh, I mentioned a book. It was totally in, like this random, you know, sometimes you're doing a podcast, you just you try to go by the outline, and sometimes like, you get a random thought. And for me, I, we, I haven't read a lot of Harry Cruz, but yeah. I remembered Florida Frenzy, which is sure. a fantastic name for a book. And I brought it up. J.L. wasn't as familiar, but you DM'd me after that, indeed, um, Florida Frenzy exists as a book, perhaps it's, it's even real. just real. Oh, yeah. It's uh, um, a mere two, three feet away. Yeah. There you go. It's a, it's a collection of essays. Cruise section. Yeah. And Blood Meridian, too, up there. Oh, yeah. That's great, yeah. So, anyway, want to talk a little bit about Harry Cruz. Yeah. Not Harry... that I, again, I still haven't read enough, or any really, Harry Cruz. But, um, you know, he's a Southern writer. Texas isn't exactly the American South, but it's related. Well, he's, he's a Georgian guy. He's, he's a Georgian. Georgian. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, Harry Cruz is a definite favorite of mine. Top five easy. Uh, to say that he's a Southern Gothic writer is both accurate and completely inaccurate. Yeah. He is obsessed with the body, with freaks, with deformities, with uh, body modification, scarification, bodybuilding, boxing, Jeet Kune Do, karate, etc. Uh, he, is, he is a writer of physicality, uh, and he's very visceral in his language. He's very curt in his manner in life. Um, he is uh, pretty near and dear to me as far as a, a creative star, though I don't think I make anything necessarily related. Uh, he's a, a deep inspiration. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I think we talked a little bit about, about that with JL as well, how like he is totally like the Southern Gothic writer, but then so much more. Yeah. Um, I, I think of him, again, not having read too much of him. I, I watched a documentary that featured him. I, I know a bit about him, but I, it's a shame I haven't read more. But I, I think of him as a little bit of a Burroughs-esque figure in certain ways, too. And sure. just being a yeah. very particular, a man with extremely particular interests and passions that he pursued, um, you know, at the expense of uh, anyone, you know, obviously very much transgressing against the boundaries of polite society. Yeah. Um, if anyone's ever interested, I recommend uh, A Feast of Snakes, as well as a shorter story called uh, The Gypsy's Curse. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard people have told me to read Gypsy's Curse before. Very good. Yeah, I mean, these are just short stories. I should read them sooner than later. But, um, yeah, I want to talk about your literary sort of inspirations in general. We talked about Welbeck earlier. And yeah. I, I believe you'd, um, you just, you've read, you, I think I saw you tweeting about Cormac McCarthy, too. And yeah, Cormac McCarthy's also a, yeah. a major sort of literary figure of mine. I reread Blood Meridian this year. It'd been many years. Uh, Sutri, fantastic. Yeah. I also had never read uh, Child of God. I, read I still that. haven't read that myself. Uh, I yeah. read that earlier this year. It was quite good. Did you read his new book? I uh, did both. Uh, Stella Maris and... Um, uh, Pretty Horses? Or, or no, it's uh, older. Yeah. Uh, it's, right uh, it's like the stagecoach or something. Jeez. Hang on. Uh, Sorry, we're in a library. I can literally... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stella Maris and the Passenger. It's the beauty the of doing these in-person yeah. podcasts. Yeah, yeah. You bring in the and oh. it goes the other way. It's yeah. the Passenger followed by Stella Maris. Fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Um, in certain circles, I think Cormac McCarthy is a little bit looked down on. He's like a science respecter guy. Big mm-hmm. science... He worked uh, at the uh, some in Albuquerque at the university there, um, or Santa Fe rather, sorry, at the university. He had an office in the science department, and what he would do is just rap about science with scientists all day. So this is his most one of his most sciency books. Interesting. Um, you could read him as a very religious Christian man, and you could also read him as a very scientistic individual. Um, 
in a way, that's what these books are about, is the interplay between those things. Uh, there are some vague supernatural elements. Uh, it follows a very small cast, a brother and a sister mostly. Passengers mostly about the brother. Stella Morris mostly about the sister. Uh, I, I think some people are upset that it, they're his last books yeah, because books. they're a bit of a departure from form. They're set in the 1980s and I think Louisiana, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Uh, you know, they're not cowboy novels. Uh, you know, they're not steeped in a, that that kind of plains despair of North Texas. And, uh, but I, I I thoroughly enjoy them, and uh, I think they're I reread them both within a year. I think they're great. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I stopped to read those last two, but I but I want to. What are you reading right now? So I just finished Caleb Caudell's The Neighbor. Yes. Mm. Fantastic. Guest, yes. Uh, yeah. I was so impressed with that book and the pacing and the way yeah. it moved forward. That's um, his debut novel. He he just released a collection of short stories. I have to novel. get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually haven't read it either. But, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fan. He's good. Good stuff. Uh, I just finished that last night. That's yeah. top of mind right now. Uh, I got a stack over there. I got reading uh, Larry McMurtry, Dashiell Hammett. Um, oh, and I got this great book about uh, sort of this sort of historical theory book called Albion's Seed. You familiar with this book? No. Historical theory. Yeah, it's kind of this theory that uh, America and its folkways all come from four strains of uh, English Protestantism. Huh. Interesting. Broken down amongst like kind of a, a class breakdown across like four strata and where they ended up and how they influenced Quakerism or, um, you know, polite folkways or whatever. Um, yeah. Just crack that. That seems pretty interesting. Definitely. That's interesting. Yeah, there's that, and in Pertinence, there's that Mitch Horowitz book, like Occult America, which he talks about. It's pretty similar that, oh. like, for yeah. example, stuff like um, like a dowsing rod, you yeah. know, American folk occult uh, stuff. I love to read that. It sounds great. Manly P. Hall also writes, you know, The Secret Doctrine of America. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, it's I think like, this is just like a, a ethnography, vibe. but yeah. in that same vibe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've been thinking about that stuff as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, Wellbeck. Did you kind of get into Wellbeck by the latest like Red Scare craze over Wellbeck? Or are you a longer time fan? Uh, I got into when did I start reading Wellbeck? It must have been a. It must have been related to that or something. I mean, I've never he's been. He's having like, a moment. Definitely, he's like, having in a America moment. Now. I've yeah. never been like a major obsessive Red Scare listener. But, no, me neither. Um, but they're, they they seep into everything. It seeps into everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're truly a cultural force. Um. I think the first Welbeck I read was The Map and the Territory. Yeah, that, one of my favorites. So yeah. amazing. And coming from like an art background and, uh, you know, falling yeah. out of love with art in a way. Oh, yeah. That was a really powerful Yeah, because the artist in that does something that could be pilloried perhaps in, in a way sure. yeah i mean yeah. it's not the worst not the oh, worst thing no, but it, he does he does he does like google maps type he, he, he art, builds right? maps yeah. yes yeah uh yeah. not the far from the worst example, yeah but still a little bit like what the fuck you know <laughs> but yeah quite yeah. a quite a few welbeck books up there um another guy i like who i'm not sure people on on this side of things are like really hip to is this guy named carson mel hmm love this guy Don't, so carson mel yeah. is a he's like a television writer he wrote for uh, a number of TV shows, and I think he still does. And uh, he's had a couple feature movies, but his books 
are incredible. Uh, he writes about this fictional uh, country western outlaw singer named Bobby Bird and just his you know, exploits. I've heard of this. Um, it's very humorous, very yeah. short. The screenwriting thing is kind of interesting because well, one thing I was kind of sort of com- like half comment on earlier is the similarity between screenwriting and writing um, comics. I mean, it's kind of a similar art. I literally a of... write a script before I put pen to paper. Yeah, th- which is the norm. Uh, uh, the which norm, I didn't realize until I started working in Hollywood like that. It really is. I really write in script format and everything. Plenty of comic book writers who, um, and like Final Draft, I don't know if that's the program you use, but like the same programs that people use to write scripts. Totally, absolutely. So there's a connection there. And then um, also don't forget, before you make a picture, you have to have a storyboard. That's a comic book. Yeah. No, absolutely. So the the, the two arts are, are very much intertwined. Then also, yeah, even just with like writing novels. I mean, I think that a lot of screenwriters, you know, they're on strike now. Um, I mean, not, not even to break up the strike you probably don't even have many thoughts on it because you don't work in the in industry but anyway less than um, yeah <laughs> exactly uh, but anyhow um, you know that I don't want to say like obviously people watch a lot of TV and movies so they appreciate screenwriting but the the way that that can teach you as someone who's worked adjacent to it and also writes novels the way that that can teach you about story structure is really bar none I absolutely mean, the uh, three act breakdown the three act breakdown absolutely Lone, Lone, Cormac McCarthy you know yep. wrote I don't know how many screenplays he actually wrote. So he wrote uh, The Sunset Limited. Yeah. Uh, He wrote The Counselor. Haven't seen any of these. Uh, And and you know what? And there's a third I'm forgetting. But I think he has three screenplays under his belt. Interesting. That have been produced. Yeah. And um, I heard, I think this is correct, that uh, No Country for Old Men started as a screenplay that's the third i yeah. think that's the third. that's the third yes mm-hmm. yeah did he write that with the cohen brothers oh Maybe. it might have been I the know. road movie well the road they made the road that's another comic movie the, ro- the road but... was a book first for sure yeah right right totally. I, I think and he might have started yeah. no country for old men as a screenplay i think you're right no i think that is the third. into a novel i think that is uh and it's cool because like you read no country for old men then you read um blood meridian they're incredibly different stylistically even though yeah. having similar themes and it's probably because of that um, I don't know which Cormac McCarthy I like more but uh, No Country for Old Men is is so not the word isn't prosaic because that's a negative word but like it's so easy to read and visualize everything oh, yeah. whereas Blood Meridian is also like that but in a much in a much more um, Blood Meridian is a bit more oblique a bit more oblique yeah so yeah. anyway it's it just I don't know they're really not a question more of a comment to some of and you know it's it's a very Hollywood oriented you know LA oriented question in in some ways how these different mediums of storytelling um can be very porous to each other in terms of oh I mean I'm skills again you know I was saying I I read because I don't want to find inspiration or draw purely inspiration from comic books but I am uh I've become really obsessive about movies in middle age and yeah uh, you know the screenwriting format and you know specific genre pictures have become so inspirational to me. Like the films of S. Craig yeah. Zoller. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, um, just one of the best people doing. Just it now. incredible, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, that and you know just reading as much as possible, rewatching films like kind of like with a critical eye, not like you know highfalutin like. <laughs> in a weird way but just like trying to parse what makes a scene work is really like uh, one-to-one with comic making and cartooning yeah yeah did you go see uh, Barbie or Oppenheimer (laughs) neither Mm. fair enough I can appreciate you know it's not participating in Uh, that particular it it seems so fraught I figured if whichever one came up on the app first I would I would hit later I think Mm. they're both worth watching 
Okay. Yeah. To, for uh, but I watch a lot of movies, and if you're if you're not as cued into watching a lot of movies, I don't know. You I, know I, Barbie. I, uh, I don't know. But there's a. Yeah. There's a movie theater that opened not too far from here that's uh, pretty good about showing like older sort of niche movies, and mm-hmm. I, I recently went and saw To Live and Die in L.A. Mm-hmm. Oh, I um, big just watched great. that. So good. Yeah, freaking, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I love, love Adored it, yeah. I mean, there's so many movies like that that are underappreciated totally. just for their sheer aesthetics, but it's also good storytelling, too. Yeah, yeah. no, I had, I had a blast, um, and yeah. seeing it on a big screen was really nice. Yeah, that's amazing. You had a question about uh, what's the what's the um, the baseball comic Lachlan? Oh, Double Lot Kid. Double Lot, yeah. Oh, was you, that you said you had about a, what the analogy? Yeah, what you were kind of. Is it, if you want to read oh, that, is out. it like an analogy? I mean, my understanding as a metaphor for the story was that it's essentially like underperforming at your job, and that in and of itself is a death sentence to like poverty in a way because he he fails to perform in the game, and then yeah. like he gets for, for the listeners. Uh, this is a spoiler. <laughs> Quite a dark spoiler to a five-page comic book. But he gets, you know, killed basically. Because you know, he yeah, he's executed. Fails. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, kind of how I interpreted it. Yeah, like, well, in it's kind of more macro, macrocosmic. Yeah, way that's not inaccurate. Uh, for uh-huh. the listener, I wrote a very short comic called uh, "The Double Lot Kid," uh, which was featured in the first Tanakh periodical issue number two. Now out of print. But uh, it's uh, essentially about a baseball team who you discover is uh, a prison baseball team. And if you underperform against other local businesses and their, you know, B teams or whatever, uh, the warden will kill you. And uh, the titular character, the double lot kid, is uh, summarily executed at the end of the issue for his poor performance during the the night's game. so, First to Knock uh, puts out a free periodical, which you can subscribe to completely for free on their website, firsttoknock.com. Uh, and each one is uh, roughly no, no more than a zine. You know, it'll have uh, con- contributions by five or six writers, and sometimes I'll contribute a cartoon or some illustration or whatever. And each one has a, a secret theme. And it's up to the reader to, it's kind of a gamified thing, to just kind of parse apart what that theme is. And uh, it's already been published. It's where I think they're up to issue four at this point. So I, I think I can safely say that the theme was metrics. Hmm. And so I wrote a comic that uh, was strictly tied to metrics. And in that case, yes, uh, you know, in my life, living in poverty for many years or close to it, or, mm-hmm. uh, I've definitely uh, come to have a, a real one-to-one relationship with uh, money, what it means to have it, what it means to not have it. And I think that comes out in the book and yeah you're not too far off yeah well good yeah well well done because I extrapolated generally what you yeah uh, I think yeah, right on sounds right like on. we got a winner <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no so we read obviously um, in addition to how how did we get here and we mentioned the um, best sort of cold right and mm. the devil Lot kid and the wishbone wishbone for broken Aonic. yeah, yeah. wishbone broken um, yeah. best sort of cold that was interesting like it turns out that the guy who's serving the fins also has a bit of a vendetta against sharks. Sure, he was bit yeah. by sharks, and then he's like, "We'll keep him up anyway on the wall." Yeah, yeah, right. right. Yeah, that one's a little bit about. Um, I mean, this it's very flat and silly to say looking back, but it is tied to um, ideas of cancellation, right. tied to ideas of separating the art from the artist, mm. which is even yeah. verbally said at the end of that one. Mm. Yeah, right, right, right. That's like the last panel, and then of course the uh, Caliuga Law. Uh, comic we mentioned earlier as well. I, I did comment like, um, how do we get here? Kind of goes for a more 
intellectual tract. Yes. But uh, I noticed kind of a through line in, in the other comics of yours that I read. It's a very particular brand of dark humor that you have that, I don't know, I'm not, my critical vocabulary is sort of failing me here. But it hinges on, like, just the totally... The fusion of like day to day things with like very totally unexpected sort of it's it's probably very Texas, very like West Western sense of humor, very modest mouse even <laughs> to bring that around. I can um, I can see that. I like mean... uh, people real you know, um, a surprisingly dark and very humorous twist in in every comic. That's what I found. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's that does. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that comes across. That's something that was imbued when I was very young. I used to. You know, you're a kid, you're being annoying in the grocery store. Yeah. You have a soda in your hand, you're like, Mom, I want the fucking thing, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. My mother used to, like, pointedly grab me by the shoulders and say, well, and she'd hold her palms up and she'd say, you can wish in one hand, and you can shit in the other, and you can huh. see which one fills up faster. Yeah. So, that kind of idea is something that I've carried with me since yeah. childhood. Definitely. Uh, a sort of a dry, fatalistic humor is certainly in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Even in How Did We Get Here, but again, that... That brought branches off into bigger sort of Dick Landian territory, but still, the the humor is uh, it's Very distinct. Much. It's, well, a, thank it's you. a through, yes, thank through you. line. I think if the if work. there's something I'm not necessarily consciously doing, but hoping, um, well, uh, discovering as I make more and more things, it's that the sort of direct Adam courtesy, this is what's wrong, here's how you fix it, kind of idea, and that humor are finding a sort of a third position in. Uh, like genre work, like crime. Yeah. Uh, I, I like um, Best Served Cold alludes to that a little bit. Double Lot Kid alludes to that a little bit. And I have eight stories that I think about six of them fall pretty close to this. And there's a there's a stew that's beginning to happen. It's becoming more narrativized, and I'm I'm not really in control. I'm just kind of watching what's happening. Gotcha. Mm. Interesting. Um... Totally random out there. I mean, we'll, we'll wrap up pretty soon. But um, another another quick soundbite to, to grab. Uh, you've also done work on skateboard decks, and you, you you're kind of a former skater, and you even describe that as like one of the things that you're attracted to in Los Angeles. You just want to oh yeah talk um, about skate skating culture and that influence on you a little bit. Well, that's huge. That's yeah. so large as it's so big for me. I may not even understand it particularly well, but. Hmm. What I do understand is this. When you grow up outside all of the time before the internet um, and interact with quotidian architecture as play objects, something happens in your mind that changes it irrevocably. Uh, A set of stairs or a curb can be the source of hours, if not days, of not only play but meditation and generative experience where you hone a craft. Yeah, um, that doing Very that good. for yeah. hours on end is the only reason I can now sit for hours on end after the workday is over and make comics. Yeah. It's tedious work. It's very slow. I can do about a page a week. It's very slow. Yeah, uh, and that I I really credit that with the reason I can still in middle age uh, afford that much focus to something. Wow, uh, creative. So there's that side of it. There's also the cultural side of it, whereby being a skateboarder in the 1990s still meant slight, not total, but slight cult- cultural ostracization. Yeah, right. Um, right. 
which maybe echoes some of our side of Twitter these maybe, days. Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. that's why I'm attracted to it in that regard. Yeah. Uh, or at least why I found kindred spirits in that mm-hmm. regard. Um, uh, skateboarding has sort of like morphed and turned into another thing, and that's fine. That's none of my business. I'm too old. Yeah. I have arthritis. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to work in the skateboard industry for about five years. I worked for a lot of big name uh, skateboard brands, very popular brands in the early 2000s. Um, freelance, I, I was really lucky. I, I uh, partnered with a company. I have a shoe with my name on it. You oh, can, nice. You can find yeah. it. I have a board with my name on it as though I were some pro skateboarder. I just, That's so cool. <laughs> they were just yeah. into the art. Yeah. It's like an artist board, an artist shoe. Um, and a couple other really interesting little uh, avenues. Skateboarding's been really good to me in that regard, and I was able to like work within a subculture that was really near and dear to me in childhood. Yeah. Um, you know, things happen and you move on and you have to, you know, pay insurance and pay rent and skateboarding does not pay that well. Doesn't. Yeah. You believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> unless you're a professional real. athlete. And, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm sure there are still guys out there that are, you know, doing absolutely incredible. But uh, as an artist, it's very difficult to make a living. Got to really just want to do it because you love it. Gotcha. That's super cool. I mean, I was only ever like a poser skater, but I, I was really into it for for like a few minutes as a teenager. And Man. the thing that stays with me about it is is the shoes, is the deck design, oh, yeah. is the the um, all of the different like artistic things that sort of go along with that. That's they what were, really inspired. I mean, me I could really it, yeah. wax on about this, so I'll try to be brief here. But like the waves of visual culture that crashed every two to three years, where every kid in school come September and the school year would start, would have a completely different outfit. Yeah. He was a different, he was a Rasta this year. He was a goth kid this year. Yeah. All because skateboarding's, you know, insatiable need for visual change was so inspirational to me. Yeah. Like, uh, it was incredible. It's uh, like the youth culture, I, re- I mean, I'm younger than you, but like I mean, the youth culture that I remember was was very much driven by that. And I, I think it's a little different now. It's I think it is too. I, I, know yeah. it, I know it is because because of this nostalgia wave that we yeah. talk about uh, this afternoon, skateboarders now, 15-year-old skateboarders now, have the ability to go back and archive footage from the era 1993 to 1998 when I was skateboarding and do pitch-perfect fit recreations. The perfectly baggy um, mil-spec pant, the oversized single stitch Gildan t-shirt with the heavy cartoon print on the chest. I mean, as though they were a looper and stepped out of 1996. <laughs> the puffy sneakers, which are not even the height of technology for skateboarding anymore, are sought after because of this like resonance with nostalgia. Yeah. It's it's amazing to see. No, yeah. absolutely. And you know, to speak, you know, to, to give credence and then, you know, the one thing uh, before going to that, uh so for example that uh, what, you're, what you're talking about, I think, is best exemplified in Jonah Hill's mid-90s the film, where it's like mm-hmm. a glorification of that shot on film. But then uh, the future being, for example, uh, Tyler, the Creator's golf series in regards to its an evolution of skateboarding and yeah. culture or, or, or aesthetic in a way. And that's a great thing. Totally. But, I, um, I, I was never like that was like way past my time. But yeah. like I work in apparel, so I have to like vaguely keep up with sort of like aesthetic trends and stuff. That was really interesting what, like, Pharrell and Tyler, the Creator, mm-hmm. uh, w- did with, like, the ice cream brand and then later yeah. the golf brand. Mm. They were, like, Mario brothers like, <laughs> 90s, yeah. like, fashion, where it was, like, the sneakers had to be even puffier. 
and yeah. the pants were even tighter and like the colors were louder so like yeah at least you know what i don't shit on any youth trend anymore at yeah, all yeah i agree because I, it's generally it's new interesting yeah, like i yeah. see a weird kid with like the puffy broccoli hair and like <laughs> wild like jersey like a throwback fubu jersey or whatever it doesn't make any sense with the rest of his album I'm like yeah sick great yeah I've never no, seen i that agree time. i'm always like Good for you, dude. about yeah kids that's sick youth. yeah yeah it's something vital there you know? yeah it's yeah. awesome <laughs> or if someone like absolutely apes a rave, ravers outfit from like 1993 or something i'm like how did you even know how to do that that's awesome <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely well, you mentioned your comic that uh, comic book to be out by Christmas. Anything else you're working on you want to highlight before we wrap? Let's see. I I am working on a four comic series. I would love to uh, have it published next year. I'm still in some editing phases. It's been the longest writing um, endeavor of my life. Um, I think when I'm done, it'll be either a very long graphic novel or four full-length comics in a series. Cool. Um, that. That's been ongoing since like 2020. Wow. Uh, I'm I'm in the weeds. We'll see. Uh, in the meantime, self-licking ice cream cone. Uh, yeah. I am hoping to have out for purchase delivery by Christmas. In a best case scenario, I'm going to be doing it all. Uh, everything except for physically hitting print on the the machine. Um, and uh, in the meantime, go to firsttonock.com/slash. How did we get here? And grab a copy. I know there are copies left, but I know we are uh, dwindling as far as the uh, initial print run is concerned. Interesting. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it that. It is good. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last yeah. I checked, I know we are um, we are low of stock. So Very cool. Get there while you can. Yeah, get there while you can. Um, Evan, do you have anything else? Or... Um, no worries. I'm not. Just wanna... <laughs> nothing, nothing cool. Nothing cool. Fair All enough. Right. Fair enough. All right. I think we can wrap then. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Sterling. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. It's been yeah. great.